Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to be, begin looking at the book of beginnings. Is it okay if I grab a stand? As we go through this study together, the intent is not to take a deep dive college level course into all of the languages, although we'll look at some things, but it's really the intent is to help us to understand the Bible better. And uh, what better place to look to know the Bible than the very beginning of the Bible? In fact, um, it is said that if we do not understand the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we will have a poor understanding of what the rest of Scripture says because it sets the foundations. Genesis is a book of foundations. And uh, if you uh, think about, as you go through this book, this is a book of firsts. Um, all the firsts of the Bible are there. You, you can't, uh, you, 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 everything that, that uh, Scripture is going to deal with later, we, we find every first encounter there. And so um, it's important for us to study that. Now, who can tell me, who is the penman of the book of Genesis? Moses is the penman. All right, now I want you to consider this with me. And... Uh, I want us to actually go to Genesis chapter 20. Can we go to Genesis chapter 20 first? We're going to hop around a little bit, but I want us to get a grasp on what is going on as the penman Moses is in tune with the Spirit of God and God is saying, okay, Moses, I want you to pen these books of the Bible. And the question is why? why? Why would God want him to pen these books of the Bible? What is the purpose of his writing? And so look at Genesis chapter 20 and verse 13, all right? Genesis 20 and verse 13, we're jumping into the life of Abraham here. And, and what is going on? God is making a covenant with Abraham, but I want you to see what God is revealing to Abraham as he's speaking to him, we find it in these verses. Verse 13, and it came to pass when God uh, uh, caused me to wander from my father's house that I said, this is, this is not the right verse, right chapter. Um, let me get here. Sorry about that. There we go. Chapter 15. Chapter 15. I don't know why my program put that out as chapter 20. It says, And thou shalt, uh, or verse 13, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety 
that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge and afterward shall they come out with great substance. Thou shalt go unto thy fathers in peace and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation thou shalt come, they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. What was God speaking to Moses about here? He was telling, or excuse me, to Abraham here. He was telling Abraham, you're going to inherit this land, but at some point in the future, your people, the nation that, that's going to come from your seed, is going to sojourn in a different land. How many years did they sojourn in a different land? 400 years. What was God speaking to? God was speaking to when Israel would end up resettling in Egypt at the uh, hand of Joseph, God providentially saving them from the famine. And so they're going to be there 400 years. I want you to think about this as we process through this because we're looking at why the book of beginnings is so important for Moses to write. All right, now let's go to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Now we pick up in the history of Israel as they are nearing the end of this 400-year period in Egypt. It says, now these are the names, chapter 1, verse 1, of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the, the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already, and Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. Uh, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundant, abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now think about this. Now they're here 400 years. I want you to consider this. After 400 years of Israel's captivity in Egypt, living in a culture of false gods and immorality, Moses is writing Genesis not only as a history, but also as a commentary on why the law was given. There's a lot of learning that the children of Israel need to do. They're coming out of 400 years in a foreign land that they have lived, they've been a part of society, you say, oh, well, pastor, they would pass that down by tradition. They, they, they would surely remember all of the things about God, all of the things that, that Abraham would have passed down or Jacob would have passed down uh, to his children and Joseph as well. Surely they would remember all of those things. They wouldn't be affected by the culture because they settled in the land of Goshen. Ah, well, let's look at Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Verses 23 through 25. It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. They cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob and God looked upon the children of Israel 
and God had respect into them. So now the children of Israel are crying out, but let's look at what's going on in their hearts. Let's turn a few pages more to the right to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. At this point, Israel has fled Egypt. The armies of Egypt have been defeated. Uh, they've been swallowed up in the sea. Israel has made its way across the Red Sea. And now they are at the base of the mount. And Moses has gone up into the mount. And the children of Israel haven't seen Moses for a while. Let's look at what happens. Verse 1, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now, I want you to consider this because what is going on is the children of Israel have already lost faith. They've lost hope in Moses who has led them out. And they're demanding that Aaron raise up another god. Now, what is going on? Let's, let's look a, a little bit further down into the chapter. Verse 15, And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, uh, one the, on, the, on the one side and on the other were they written, and the tables were work of God, and the writing it was the writing of God graven upon the tables. Now notice this. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is, it is not the voice of master or them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing, do I hear? And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. Notice this. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink of it. Oh man, what a horrible thing. What was happening here? The children of Israel were going back to the roots of the society in which they lived. That 400 years in Egypt had not been good for them. There were things that they needed to understand. There were things that they needed to be reminded of. Yes, they may have known the name I Am. They may have known who God was. They may have cried out to God for a deliverer. 
But it was important that Moses pen the book of beginnings because they needed to understand that they were not to be a part of the culture that they were in and that they were not to carry that with them. You know, what of the golden calf? I, I always love the statement of Aaron. You remember when Moses asked him about it? We, we, we put all these rings in the fire and, and just out came a golden calf. Wow. Magic, right? No. It could be. They're commentators, and, and, and I, I, I would tend to agree with this. Because the, the language structure that we, we find in the Hebrew would imply that this was an orgy. This was a worship session around a calf. There, in fact, there was in Egyptian worship a bull god or a calf god named Apis. He was a god of fertility. Whenever there is a, a, a fertility worship in pagan practice, it typically includes immorality. And so these people were in, in serious need of understanding this, this whole story of how they got where they were. Look one more place, Numbers chapter 11 and verse 5. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 5. Here we find the children of Israel crying out to Moses. Look at what was part of their cry. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Oh man, the bread of heaven. God created bread that they got to eat. You see, you see what's in their heart. And so it's important that Moses write this book. And I love how the book of Genesis begins. What a wonderful yet simple or simple yet incredible statement. How does it begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is simply presented as always existing. I want you to look at this. Turn, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see what the New Testament writers thought about this creation of God and, and the fact of, of the origins of the earth as we, we talk a little bit about this. But Hebrews chapter 11 of course, we know that this is a faith chapter, but I love that it begins with, with creation in it. Uh, look at verse 3. Through faith, we understand, notice this, that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, notice this last part. So that things which are seen, what? Were not made of things which do appear. 
What is this speaking of? Scholars would call it ex nihilo, right? What is that, what is that referring to? Something out of nothing. So here, Genesis opens up. It's, it's, it's simply assuming, it is simply presenting the existence of God. And I would say this, you know, if, if we would ask, why, why isn't it doesn't give more about eternity past? Well, beloved, this isn't the, the story of God in this book. This is a story of broken man and the God who reaches out to him. We simply know and must understand by faith, as it says in Hebrews, that God is eternal. He's always existed. And that creation was spoken out of nothing. What an incredible thing. Look at Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. We're turning all over the place in the Bible. We might as well keep going. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. I love to, to read what the host of heaven were speaking of Christ. Verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so let's, let's look at this together. And, and, and I want to do it by dividing it out into some easy-to-digest bites. All right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at it by speaking to the characters, then God's action, then God's character and person, and then we're going to look at some foundations established. So first of all, let's look at the characters. Of course, we see... In this first chapter of Genesis, God as creator, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What else do we see? We see animals, right? And living creation that come to pass within chapter 1. We also see man, and we need to understand this, a sentient creation, distinct from all creation as a living soul. Now, that's important. God is establishing things for us to understand here. So many times we read the book of Genesis, and boy, we kind of buzz through it. We think about, oh, it's really cool that God created everything out of nothing. But what we really don't stop and think about what is going on, what's being established here. And we're seeing the creation of man. This is very important in this day and time. Why? Because... We are within really an existential crisis in our culture and society because we're dealing with issues that 60 years ago we never would have thought people would have been saying, I was born this way, but I'm really this way. I was born with man parts, but I'm really a woman. And so, beloved, this is important that we grasp this. Isn't it wonderful when we consider this, the timelessness of the Word of God? Its ability to address issues. It doesn't matter if it was the day that Moses penned the Scripture or if it is 2024 and we're looking around saying we live in a crazy place. 
That is the beauty of God's Word. And so we have God the Creator. We have the animals, the living creation. Man, the sentient creation. Let's look at God's action. What is God's action? He is establishing the foundation for life to exist in creation in a way that will sustain His intent, His purpose, and His glory. That's what He's doing in chapter 1. He's establishing a foundation. He's laying it out so that all that He's doing, that all of creation can exist in a way that it sustains His intent, purpose, and glory. Now this is what's wonderful about a sovereign God. And, 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 you know, we're not going to go into all of God's sovereignty from creation to the end of the world here. But I want you to understand this, that God is so sovereign, he created a world that even when it became broken and fallen, God can still fulfill his intents and purposes and he will be glorified. That's an incredible creation. Even when something breaks it, God is so sovereign in that creation. I mean, we, we look at today, the world has, after the flood, existed, I think, some uh, four to 6,000 years. And as bad as this world is, it is incredible to think that God created something that even in a unredeemed state it can sustain itself that way we have an incredible god and so we want to keep this in mind as we look at these this first chapter especially so what do we see in god's character and person in this what are we seeing in god's character and person in this well we see a god of order we see a god of order order in creation you ever stop to think about the order of creation? All right, we're back in Genesis chapter 1, but don't look down at your Bible. I want to have some fun. Can we have some fun? I need, I need two volunteers. Oh, and everybody's going, uh-uh, not me. <laughs> I need two volunteers. And I have some pictures here representing the order of creation. I want to see if you can lay out the order of creation by picture. All right? Now, if a child volunteers, then a parent has to come with them and help them. Oh, I like that even better. <laughs> All right. Can Nancy come help you? Okay, I, I have two child volunteers. Is, is there a parent that's going to volunteer to come and help them? <laughs> uh, the pressure's on. Oh, mom and dad, don't let your child volunteer and then just go home in tears because they didn't get to participate in the service. <laughs> All right. We have the, the blue and the brown that represent water and land. All right. But I'm going to give these to you, and let's see who can lay out the order first. 
All right. Yep, you can hold them up once you're done. Now, I want you to be thinking about this. Don't look down at your Bible. Let's see if you can keep get the order right. Now, we, we know the first one's easy, right? Oh, man. I, is that the order that you want to keep? Is that your final answer? I love some of this, too, because w once we, we look at the order, I want you to see something else that's really, really neat about God's creation here. All right. I'm going to say this. You are both wrong, and you both have almost exact, you do have the exact same order. I'm going to give you one chance to reorder it. I'm going to give you one chance to reorder it. Are you satisfied with that order? <laughs> All right, five seconds. Four, three, two, one, and time. All right. Let's, uh, let's have Ben hold up his order. What's your first one there? Light and dark. All right. And next is? Sun, moon, and stars, land and sea, water and heavens, fowls and fish of the sea, and then all of those on the land, the creatures on the land. All right, let's see. What is Noel's order here? Light and dark, sun, moon, and stars. Land and sea, air and water, fish and fowl of the air, and all of the animals. How many say that that's the right order? You're going, oh, Pastor, I'm not going to answer because you're getting ready to tell us the right answer. I don't want to be embarrassed. All right, let's see if they have their order right. Number one is light and darkness. Number two the waters and the firmament are separated, right? Number three, the land and the waters are separated. Number four, the star, as stars and the moon and the sun are created. Then number five, the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea. And number six, all the land animals and man is created. So they were kind of close. Not, not a bad effort. Give them a round of applause. They, they worked hard. We'll leave that there for you. You can come get them when you're done, when, when we're done. All right. Let's look at it real quick, okay? We're back in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at this order. And then I want to draw your attention to something here uh, as we look at them. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament, or 
an atmosphere, a heaven, if you would, in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now, let me stop and just make a comment here because there are those that, that would say that pre-flood, that there was a, a water vapor that, that covered the earth and that could very likely be so. We don't know exactly. We just know that the heavens opened and the fountains of the deep opened. All right, but it seems like God may have created a, 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 a vapor or water barrier outside of what would, we would call the atmosphere. Um, the Bible is calling that the firmament. And God made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters. He called the seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit yielding fruit or fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. Notice that that's an important thing, too whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. What's that talking about after its kind? What's that mean? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're dealing with species. We're, we're beginning to deal with genetic issues here, right? It, it, you know, it, it's, it's nice to, to have an apple tree, but... You're not going to plant an apple seed and it's going to grow a pine tree, all right? You know, if you want turkeys to populate your land, you don't plant the apple trees. That's for deer, right? You, you, you plant the pine seed so that you get the pine tree so the turkeys will roost in the pine trees, all right? God's, he's establishing an order here. This, this is important for us to process through. There, there, were, there were kinds that God intended or 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 animals within that kind or plants within that kind that God intended could could cross over but there are others that are a different kind and they can't they don't all right it's it again it's something for us to think through let's keep going um Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind and God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven and divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. I love the end of that verse. Isn't that a cool statement? It's just like, you know, he's, he's, he's creating the, the, the day and night. He's putting the sun in place and the moon in place. And it's just kind of like, oh, by the way, he created the stars too. As if that were some small thing. I mean, man, you begin to look at the stars, billions, trillions, the galaxies that are out there. And Genesis 
simply puts it in this little phrase, and he made the stars also. I want you to think about that. Isn't that incredible about our God? I mean, praise the Lord. It is a small thing for him to make the stars. Be encouraged in that. You know what? It's an amazing thing to think. That this great God who just was like, oh, stars, I want you to appear. He is intimately interested in your life and mine. Every detail. Matthew reminds us, Jesus reminded us in the Sermon on the Mount that every hair of our head is numbered, that a sparrow does not fall to the ground, that he doesn't know it. But isn't it a wonderful thought that he thinks upon you and me? Wow. That's incredible. Let's keep going. God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Now, if you're an underliner, you can go back. I'd, I'd underline all of those goods. Number one, it's an encouragement. Number two, it's a good reminder for us when we get a little bit deeper in. The evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the fowl multiply in the earth. That word fills important too. You can circle that if you want to. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, let earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping things, beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. 
and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Look at chapter 2. We'll just go a couple, a few verses in. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Interesting thought and really good question. Why would an omnipotent God rest? Did he have to? All right. Keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. And so we see in this now that we have a God of order, a God of purpose. He carried out his design with purpose. Think about this. Day one, light and dark, day and night. It's really interesting when you look at God's creation, number one, the order, right? You can't have plant life on day three. Number one, if you don't have land. Well, maybe some algae in the sea. But number two, if you don't have light, right? God, he was, he was establishing an order here. But look at the parallels. Day one, what did he create? Day and night. He formed day and night. Look at day four. What did he fill day and night with? The sun, the moon. And the stars. Isn't that interesting how God did that? I mean, it just blows my mind. Day two, what did he do? He separated the waters from the firmament. On day five, what did he do? He filled the firmament and the waters. And then day three, he separated the waters from the land. And what does he do? And he, and he brought all the plant life. And what does he do on day six? He fills the land, and he creates man. He's a God of order. What else do we see in God's character? We also see that he is a God of example. What was he doing when, when he created the earth and, and he, he gave seven days to this project? I mean, we just read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, that he spoke the worlds out of nothing. He he could have just said, everything happened, and it would be there. What was he doing? Remember, this is a book of foundations. He's establishing a work week. He's showing six days of the week, you know, that's that you put your labors in. And then he's displaying, a, a, in essence, a Sabbath rest that, that we would call. He rested on a seventh day. He ceased from his labors. He could kind of sit back and enjoy and look at all that he had done and relish in it. He, he shows a work ethic, right? As we go through it, did you underline those words good? What God does is always good. 
And when we look at God's work ethic, right and good, what do we learn? That my work ethic ought to be that way. What should my labor look like? What, 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 should it, what, what should I be striving for when I go to work? What should I be striving for, mom, as I am raising my children at home and, and, and getting them ready for the world? I should be striving for good. I should have a good work ethic. I should have a work ethic that, that patterns after God. And you say, you say, but work is bad. All right? How many of us are looking forward to getting up? Well, tomorrow's a holiday. <laughs> On Tuesday and going to work. I don't see any hands raised. You say work is bad. No, God just spent six days working. Yeah, but he's God. Okay. Turn to Ecclesiastes. Keep your finger here. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You can't argue with the wisest man in the world. And Solomon, by the authorship of the Holy Spirit, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, teaches us about work. In fact, those first verses are all about the order of life. But we come to verse 13, and it says this. Well, let's, let me read verse 12. I, I know that there's no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his, what? Labor. Notice the next phrase. It is the gift of of God. You see the pattern that God established there in verse 13? Not just not just the good work ethic, but that we enjoy the good fruit of our labor why? Because work is a gift from God. You know what? It's good for us to have those days where we just put our nose to the grindstone and we come home tired in the evening. Oh, but pastor, that wears you out. Yes, it does. But knowing that you did good, that you, that you worked for the glory of God, it's a gift and there's a satisfaction that comes from that. Just as God could step back at the end of every day and look at what he did and say, this is good. We must ask ourselves, can we step back at the end of every day and look at what we did and say, this is good. Praise the Lord. It's brought glory to God. He's a God of example it's a faithful God setting the example of faithfully executing His creation and teaching by example. We read this this morning. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found, what? Faithful. And here is God, faithfully doing His work 
faithfully laying out his creation. And there's an aspect of this that I think we should consider. Aren't you glad that God is a starter and a finisher? (laughs) I mean, how many of us, and, and I've known people like this before, and sometimes I can have a tendency to do this, but how many of us have ever started a project and it's still sitting unfinished. You ever done that? <laughs> Man, I, I, I knew a guy years and years ago in Ohio. He was the greatest for ideas. One, one of our area pastors, he, was, he had incredible ideas. And boy, he would start out on these projects. And, and he would get into the projects and he just wasn't a finisher. He was a great starter. He needed assistance that would that would help his weakness and and finish his projects. But God is a starter and a finisher. And you know what? He started on day one. He finished on day six. And he took his rest and praised the Lord for it. Aren't you glad that he didn't stop on day five? We wouldn't be here. Aren't you glad he didn't stop with the animals? Would have been a beautiful earth. There would have been beautifully created animals. But God finished the work. He created man. We also see that he is a God who is a good manager. He gave creation and man their purpose and gave them the ability and space to do it. What did he tell the creation in in days four or actually five and six? He said, fill the earth replenish it, be fruitful, multiply. What else did he tell man? He said, you are to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it. What is that speaking to? You ever thought about that? It speaks to a lot of responsibility that God gives us. You know, it's nice to have a pet dog. Anybody have a pet dog? How many people have had? I, I, I had a pet dog. I loved him so much. He was the same age I was. My dad got him for him when I was one. He was one. And I loved that dog. Big black Labrador. I mean, just a stocky kind that you could, I, I mean, as a kid, I would get on his back and ride him. Never, ever did he care. You know, he was just a happy-go-lucky dog. But, Isn't it wonderful? I started talking about my dog and I lost my train of thought. (laughs) Huh? Oh, what? (laughs) It's not where I was going. What? Subdue it. Thank you. There there we go. (laughs) Subdue it. We're going that direction there, Arnie. Um, But to have a dog. I mean, are, are all dogs tame? No way, you know. There are places in Australia and Africa that, and, and even in the United States you don't want to be. Coyotes are wild. I've heard stories of coyotes that have actually attacked in packs human beings, wolves as well, right? But isn't it wonderful that God gave us that ability to subdue, to take creation, to have man's best friend? I mean, if you got cats, that's a whole different level. I mean, cats aren't man's best friend. You're, you're their servant, <laughs> you know? 
But, but isn't it wonderful to have that, be able to ride a horse? I, I, there was a horse on the camp that I loved. His name was Tornado. He's an Arabian horse. Loved to ride him. Um, I, I loved on, on Saturdays we would, we would go out and just ride. But it was, it was, it was fun to, to have animals like that, to see their personality and to enjoy them. Isn't it an amazing thing to be able to take a weed? You know, sorry, I, flowers are beautiful, but to me, with allergies, they're all weeds. They all make me sneeze. But something that we would consider a weed, and we plant it in a garden, and we cultivate it, and, and we nurture it, and we can shape it into one of the most beautiful rose bushes that wins prizes at the fair. To subdue it, to have dominion over it, means that we're above the animals. All right, and folks, it's important for us to remember. Now, number one, understand this. I believe that God is giving us a responsibility to take care of our earth. All right. Now, you know, I, I think that that we have to be careful. And, and how we approach it, because some of the ways that we're approaching it today politically, we're making it a religion. So we have to be careful about that. But we ought to take care of our earth. We ought to, we ought to be good about how we take care of our land. But he's given us dominion. We're higher than the, the, than the animals. Listen, a human being is more important than a whale in the ocean. Now, I'm not saying that we should hunt them into extinction. But a human being is more important than a whale. Why? Because he's a living soul. He's a sentient being, right? You remember the characters when we went back to them? God created the animals, the fowls of the air. You know what? As much as I loved my dog, uh, now hopefully parents, uh, your, your kids don't have to plug their ears, Okay. But as much as I loved my dog, when he passed away, he was done. That's it. But you know what? When we pass away, we live forever. We're, we go on into eternity. There's a difference between these. And God gave us dominion over this earth. We're to take care of it. We're, we're to use it for purposes that glorify Him. All right? And so this is a God who's a good manager. He, 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 gave, us, he gave us orders to keep and the ability to carry them out. I'll look at my notes here. I'll do this one because we'll get into foundations next time. God's character. God is a God who cares intimately about man. And we stated this earlier. Who of all God's creation was the only one formed by the hand of God, breathed into with the breath of life, and he became a living soul? Wow. Each one of us here tonight have the breath of life in us, breathed by the very creator of the universe, the God of eternity. You know what that does? 
that should remind us not just of our importance to God, but it should remind us that every human being is an image bearer. And as we consider a God who cares intimately about man, as we leave these four walls and we live throughout the week, not only are we image bearers, but every human being that we come into contact with is an image bearer of God. They are somebody who deserves to be treated like a human being and with dignity. You say, Pastor, well, there are all kinds of people out there. You, you know what? Is God intimately interested? Was God intimately interested in you when you were unlovable? And you still are, by the way. Was God intimately interested in you when you were in that mire? Absolutely. You know what? We, as image bearers of God, have a responsibility to see others as image bearers of God. And let's carry out our responsibility to give them the gospel, to love them in Jesus' name, and to give them the dignity that they deserve. They may be sinful. They may be people that, that we don't like. They may be prickly people. But you know what? If God can be intimately interested in us, we can be, inter we can be interested in others and we can show them God's love and we can be bearers of the gospel. And we're going to stop there, okay? We'll, we'll look next week at, at some foundations that God is establishing and, um, and uh, talk a little bit uh, more about that. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, this is, you know, this beginning is a little bit different because it's, it's a different kind of narrative, all right? There aren't a lot of characters that are interacting. As we get further into Genesis, we'll look at it, and we'll look at it really in, in a, a, I think, an important way, uh, in a thematic way as we uh, go through the book of Genesis. But uh, think on this. Think about our God this week. I hope that, that it sets your mind in motion and uh, that uh, it will give you some, some things just to chew on this week as you meditate on the Word. All right, let's have a word of prayer. And uh, let's, uh, we'll uh, ask the blessings on our fellowship. And as soon as uh, we say the amen, uh, you are welcome to head down to the fellowship hall and uh, have some, I believe there's cake down there and, and uh, all kinds of refreshments. So uh, please stay and enjoy. And uh, you might need to reintroduce yourself to Laura. I, you know, I know we start hitting that age and uh, we tend to forget. So um, if you feel like you need to introduce yourself, that, that'll probably help her out. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that, that we can just look into your word and we can see what a great God you are. Lord, we, we spent quite a bit of time in chapter 1, and we didn't even scratch the surface of what you do, who you are, what a great God you are. Lord, may we just take these things as we consider them. Lord, may we, we meditate on them through the week. Lord, may it, it turn our eyes in a new light, in a refreshed way, to the world around us, whether it's the creation that you've created, whether it's people that we encounter. Lord, may we live by your example. Lord, may we 
rejoice in these days because we are living under the sun, S-O-N, and not just under the sun, S-U-N. Father, we ask your blessings on our time hereafter as we go into a fellowship. Lord, we ask you to bless the food. Bless our time together. Uh, Lord, give, uh, make it a, a wonderful night for Laura as she uh, celebrates her birthday. And, and uh, we're so thankful for uh, being able to do that together. Lord, dismiss us now with your blessings. We look forward to when we can come back together again Wednesday night. In Jesus' name.